What's up, guys? Welcome back to the Glory UGA Podcast. I'm Tyler, and here with me on the other end of the line is my co-host, Curtis. And we actually have some legitimate on-field football to talk about. It's a good feeling. Uh, We all know that right now, obviously, we are in the midst of spring football practice, which is going to be taking place uh, through G-Day, which is April 21st. Uh, The team's going to be practicing every Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday over the course of the next month. And the way we're going to cover it here on the podcast Instead of like ha- talking about every single day of practice, which is really tough to do since we don't actually get to see practice, we maybe talk to a few people who get to watch practice, but we don't see it ourselves. So it's tough to cover every single day of practice. So what we're going to do in the podcast is to look back and discuss the storylines and developments on a week-by-week basis over the course of the next month as spring practice continues on. So today's show will be our spring practice week one review episode. But first, just want to make sure we remind everyone out there, you guys can follow us on Twitter, at Glory underscore UGA, uh, with practice going on, a lot of excitement around the program right now. We'd love to hear your thoughts on what's happening. I also want to make sure everyone knows where to find us. Uh, obviously, you're listening to the show somewhere, somehow. But want to make sure everyone knows you can find us on DogSportsRadio.com. You can also download the DogSports Radio app straight to your smartphone. If iTunes and SoundCloud or more your speed, you can find us there. You can also find us on the Stitcher and TuneIn apps as well. If you get a chance, it'd be awesome if you could rate and review the show. Just kind of let us know what you think about the show. Uh, Love it or hate it. Hopefully, you're not making yourself listen to it if you hate it. But we definitely appreciate that, guys. It really does help us as we continue to try to grow the show. And we do very much appreciate everyone who's taken time and already given us a rating and a review. Definitely appreciate that. All right, Kurt, uh, let's dig into this, man. Let's get into the first week of spring practice. You know, it, I will say, though, first off, like with the acclimation period and the first couple of days of practice kind of pretty much being in shorts, uh, and Saturday, you know, was the first day in pads, there's only so much that we can really take away from practice. But there there, were, there was definitely some news, and, and there were some developments that I think we can at least discuss here a little bit on the show. And we'll have more and more, I think, to talk about as we continue on through the next month or so, uh, getting closer and closer to G-Day. But, Kurt... Uh, you want to start with coaching changes? There's a the few uh, change. There's a little bit of a change up to how the staff is structured. You want to start there? Sure. All right. So I'm sure a lot of if you listen to the show, chances are you've heard this. But if not, just in case, uh, we're pretty. We we have most of the, the of the I guess I would say at least the core of our coaching staff returning. Uh, got a, a new wide receivers coach, Cortez Hankton. You also had Dan Lanning coming in, coaching outside linebackers, replacing Kevin Shear. Uh, but there's also a switch up here. James Coley elected to stay on staff after getting a big offer from Florida State. Jimbo Fitch tried to, to poach him. He had a history with Jimbo going back. Uh, it's his Florida State days. Uh, but, but Coley chose to stay on. And we always felt like, okay, well, he probably didn't choose to stay here just based on you know, how much he loves Kirby. I mean, I'm sure there's a good relationship there. I'm sure his family loves being in Athens. That's a factor. And, you know, want to keep your family uh, settled in as much as you possibly can, especially as your kids are a little older. I totally get all that. But you imagine, like, when you get a big offer from Florida State like that to be their offensive coordinator, whether you're actually going to call the plays there or not, it's a totally different thing. You ha- We had to at least imagine that there was something that we were going to give him to kind of entice him to stay a little bit more. And we had heard some rumors that he would be named the quarterback coach. Uh, so Kirby, uh, opening day spring practice, of course, confirms that James Coley is now the quarterback coach, taking over for former quarterback coach uh, uh, Jim Chaney. And Jim Chaney is moving over to take over Shane Beamer's spot as a tight ends coach. Now, obviously, Jim Chaney, for the first years of Curry Smart's tenure, has been the offensive coordinator. But this is I don't, I didn't expect this, Mooker. I don't know if you expect it or not. Uh, but James Coley is also named, we find out, as the co-offensive coordinator along with Jim Chaney. Now, Jim Chaney is still going to be the one calling the plays, but Coley still, he has that title now that he can put on his resume. Was that something that surprised you, Kurt, or were you expecting that? Um, 
it doesn't surprise you know I wasn't expecting it but it doesn't surprise me I mean look at all these people like you've got a Thomas Brown who's got the the offensive coordinator uh, or the coast you know whatever you want to call it title down at Miami but doesn't call the play so it, right. it's not a huge shock that they'll name him that and he still won't play uh play uh call plays stuff um I just wasn't expecting it yeah I, that's kind of the way I am like when I heard it I was like oh okay like that makes sense I get it uh, so I mean, nothing like insane there, but it was not, you're right. It's nothing that I was expecting. I honestly, I was expecting him to be named the quarterback coach because he has a he has a background there um, in coaching quarterbacks, and he's been the offensive coordinator before at Miami. So uh, you know, I, I wasn't shocked to see that move, and I wasn't shocked to hear him named offensive coordinator, co-offensive coordinator. Uh, just wasn't necessarily something I was expecting. You know, Kirby announced there day one. How do you feel about Jim Chaney moving to be our tight end coach? Normally you see like the offensive coordinator more often than not is the quarterback coach. It kind of just makes sense. You want to get in the quarterback second. You're going to be calling plays. You want to know what he's comfortable with. You want you want him to know what you expect from him and, and what his strengths are. You want that kind of intimate knowledge. Do you think this is a good move for us, moving Chaney to tight end and putting Coley, moving him from the wide receiver spot over the quarterbacks? Yeah, because when you really look at it, all right, so first off, when it comes to Cheney coaching tight ends, um, when he coached the pros, that was the position group he coached. And right. then when you look at it the other way, all right, so when it comes to the tight ends, they're either going to be one of two places. If we're doing seven-on-sevens and passing and timing, things like that, they're going to be with the quarterbacks. And if he's not doing that, if they're working on blocking, then – well, you, you saw it last year when Beamer was their coach. They, they would be sitting, they'd be working with Sam Pittman. So either way, they're going to either be with Pittman or the quarterbacks. So if they're with the quarter, uh, not with the quarterbacks, they'll just send them with Pittman and more or less to kind of stay with the quarterbacks and just watch over it. Yeah, I think that, that's that's absolutely fair to say. And I think one more thing bears mentioning here. You're right. You mentioned that Cheney uh, in the NFL coached tight end, so he has a background there. And he's always said, if you've paid attention, I know he doesn't get to talk much uh, with Kirby's rules and whatnot, restricting the coaching staff from being able to talk. I'll give interviews, but if you if you listen to the guy talk, he's he's made no bones about it. Like he's not shying away from the fact that he's not a quarterback coach by trade. Like that's he he kind of he's kind of in a self deprecating way. He's kind of the guy he is, but he he's basically said, Look, I'm not the best quarterback coach out there, and he he's owned up to that. So I'm okay with him moving tight. And he's got the the pedigree there, or at least he's he's had experience coaching there. He, and let's be real, he's probably not the best quarterback coach. Although he, you know, he's gives, he's given credit for developing Drew Brees or whatnot. I guess because he was offensive coordinator there at Purdue and was you know was helping coach quarterbacks there as well. But um, he he made, he's made no he's made no bones about it in the past. Whereas James Coley does have a background doing that, wants to do that. And if if that's what you have to give James Coley to keep him on staff, is I mean that's the right move, is it not? Yeah, it is, and I, mean, I think he'll be a good quarterback coach. Um, the one way he coaches, he's a you know loud, high intensity type guy. Um, I think it, the quarterbacks could actually take something away from him because you know he's high intensity, rep, 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 and he you know he's a very vocal guy. So someone like that who who probably expects that and demands stuff like that. I mean, let's be honest. Our run game last year, while the offensive line was really improved, I thought the best part of our run game last year was the ability of our running backs to block downfield. So, I mean, he demands excellence. So, it's, I don't think he's a, sl- a slouch or anything at all in the, in the way he coaches. Yeah, I think that's true. Do you? Have, I'm curious what your take is on this. So, he's the co-offensive coordinator now along with Jim Chaney. Jim Chaney's still going to be calling the plays. But do you think this was, given the co-OC title, is this just a move in title only? Or will you expect him to have more responsibilities on the offensive side and actually helping oh, Chaney game plan? Yes, I think I'll have more responsibilities. Like when it comes to game planning, I mean, it kind of be like uh, back when Kirby was with Saban that um, they had Saban, Schumann, and Kirby in the defensive game plan meetings. Um, so I think, in my opinion, you'll probably see something like uh, Jay Johnson, uh, Cheney, and Coley in there. 
uh, doing the game planning together. Yeah, you can't forget about Jay Johnson. I mean, it's true. Like, we've had three guys that have been offensive coordinators on staff. You've got Jim Chaney, you've got James Coley, who's offensive coordinator at Miami, and you've got Jay Johnson, uh, who was offensive coordinator at Miami, or no, I'm sorry, at Minnesota before coming down here. And then the, the, the guys that he coached up in Minnesota rave about him. So we, we essentially have three offensive coordinators. Now, we have one guy calling plays. We have three guys with offensive coordinator experience that are sitting there in the same room game planning. Like, that, that's that's a good thing, right? Yeah. I mean, you obviously only have one guy calling plays, but to have that kind of input, that's that's a very positive thing. And I really think that Jay Johnson coming in last year and kind of give a new perspective on things really was one of the reasons we were able to turn things around offensively. Now, obviously, yeah. we have more experience. Yeah, I, I think that right there is a huge thing. Uh, different perspectives isn't always the worst thing. I mean, uh, you know, especially that first year, all you heard the first year was how we were too one-dimensional, you know, and all that. So um, I think if you can get different perspectives in there, it helps. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, we don't, we haven't named, like, Coley as passing game coordinator and Cheney as run game coordinator. Sometimes you see something like that. We haven't taken that step, but I like behind closed doors, I wouldn't be surprised if it was something along those lines where Coley is more the guy that's kind of, you know, I don't say running the passing game show, but like giving a lot more input in that direction. Him and Jay Johnson, where's Cheney? Because Cheney, like one thing I, I've always appreciated about Jim Cheney, even when people were ripping him after year one, like a lot of people don't pay attention to this, but the blocking schemes that we utilize in the run game are insanely creative. I mean, it's it's different. Like from game to game, Jim Cheney will switch up the blocking schemes, and it's just. It's truly, uh, it's truly spectacular what he's able to do in the run game. So I love what he's able to do there. And I have no issue with with him in the passing game. But Coley, you know, has that background. He's, he's well respected there. Knows the receivers as well. I wouldn't be surprised to see him, see him have some more input in the passing game uh, this coming season. But uh, all in all, I, I'm I'm cool with the moves. We'll see how it plays out on Saturdays in the fall. But uh, on the surface, at least, I, I, I'm pretty cool with it. Now let's move over uh, to actually some de- some developments on the field here. Now again, like look, this is week one. You know, we were only we only had one day in pads, so there's only so much you can really tell here based on what's going on in the field. Uh, but there were were there anything anything was there anything that you heard uh, about practice this week that you think might bode well for us moving into the future? Um, I think the biggest thing, look, um, the one position group that jumps off to me, of course, is the offensive line. Yeah, in what um, way? Well, I mean, uh, like, tell we expect Isaiah Wilson, a right tackle. We're expecting just that. Wise, I think is what's so impressive. Yeah, did, yeah. Did and you that's hear without people like Salyer and stuff already here? Did you hear Solomon? That it's funny that you mentioned Solomon's advice. One thing I was going to ask you about was Solomon Kinley. Did you hear the comments he made? No. Okay, so he basically like I forget was it to the AJC. I think he was talking about this, but he was essentially saying like the, that right guard spot. It's going to be mine. It's going to be mine. Uh, and I, I love that confidence. But do you see that happening? Do you see him getting back in that spot and taking that back from Ben Cleveland, whoever else is going to be contending for that job? I really don't. I think that Ben Cleveland's upside is so much higher than Kenley's. I think he has quicker feet, um, and I think he's just stronger in general. I think he takes the punch to the end well, but he's against more physical people, he really, really uh, struggled. I mean, he's a guy, he started the season, and he did well. Like There, there were moments, games where he played really well. Consistency in my book was just the thing that absolutely killed Solomon Kinley. Uh, but you know what? I, 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 he, hey, I'm all for competition, man. We need the guy. Like I don't have that. I don't have a problem with that mindset at all. Here's the quote. This is this is from GridironNow.com. So he says, "Last year was good, but I promise this year's gonna be even better. I'm gonna work even harder. I'm not gonna stop working in that position. Right guard is gonna be mine for the whole season. Georgia fans can rely on me. Our running backs can rely on me. Do you think we can rely on him?" Um. No. I mean, maybe if he develops more. Uh, there were times last year that we were able to rely on him. I just don't know if yeah, it was consistent. It's better competition. Thing, I mean, when it came down to him, 
Yeah, like Auburn the first time around. Yeah. That was a disaster. But, I mean, do you have any problem with him having that kind of mindset, having that attitude? No, not at all. I mean, you want someone that's going to go out there and, do, and feel confident and have uh, confidence in themselves. Because when you start doubting yourself is when you struggle. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things, like, when you go public with comments like that, like, I, I want everybody on our team to think those things. When you go public with comments like that, I could see how it could potentially rub other guys that are vying for that spot the wrong way a little bit. But, you know, I mean, we don't know that, what the dynamic is within the locker room. Uh, but, hey, if the guy thinks he can take it, go out and show us, man. I mean, I'm all for it. Let's see what you can do. Another guy I want to I want to mention here, I, I don't know if you've heard much about him. Uh, but, again, only one day in pads. But one guy that I've heard a lot about from people that are on the program, able to take him practice a couple days this past week, is true freshman early enrollee Britton Cox. Have you heard much about him this week? Um, I've heard that he's getting a lot of person, uh, one-on-one coaching. Yeah, he's getting a lot of one-on-one coaching. And a guy apparently just looks the part. You know, he's a guy that coming in, I wasn't sure where he'd fit. Because he's about 245, 250 right now coming in. Is he going to put on some weight and grow into more of a five-tech defensive end type guy? Or can he play that jack outside linebacker spot, like the pass rush spot? It looks like that's where he's going to land. From Everyone that I know that, that has a chance to like watch practice, they said, like, watch out for this guy. Like, this guy is legit. He looks the part. Uh, he's getting a lot of one-on-one coaching, which is typically a sign. Like, hey, if you're putting that much effort into somebody, into somebody one of these guys out there that you imagine that they can really help you. Uh, and I would not be surprised. I haven't seen I'm very excited to be able to take him in on G-Day. But if everything I'm hearing about him, again, through, like, what, two days, three days. But this is a guy that I really think could potentially push for some serious playing time in year one. We'll see how that plays out, but he's definitely a guy that I'm going to have my eye on over the, my eye on over the next couple of weeks, no doubt about it. And you and I were talking about another guy last night. You texted me about this. I don't know how many of you saw this, but uh, the, the football Twitter account posted a couple of clips of practice on there. And uh, one thing that you and I both were able to kind of kind of I don't want to say figure out, but we both noticed it was there's a clip uh, where the number one offense against the number one defense. And who did you see over there at the starting cornerback spot opposite DeAndre Baker? Uh, Mark Webb. Mark Webb, right? And I, that's not a surprise to us necessarily, at least to me. It's not to you. I, I mean, we were talking about this last night. No, not at all. I mean, because, you know, I, we both said it was going to come down to him and speed. And uh, the one thing I think that he has over speed is probably his physicality. It seems, yeah. And this is a guy, I really have not seen him play really hardly any cornerback at all outside of a garbage duty towards the end of last year. And there wasn't much of that. But, again, just like we said, like previewing spring practice, just by virtue of the fact that our coaching staff – kept him at corner after moving him. We moved him last year because of depth purposes. We had plenty of receivers. We didn't have enough depth in the defensive backfield. We thought he played a lot of that in high school. We thought he had a chance to be decent over there. But after the season's over, we keep him there. That tells me that our coaches have serious plans for this guy to really contend for some serious playing time. And that looks to be the case. And look, he very likely was rotating. We saw one rep, right, in that clip. So he's, I'm sure there's a lot of rotating going on. But for at least that one rep, he was out there with the number one defense. And that's another guy. So if you Thinking about, okay, who am I going to start looking at for uh, during G-Day when that comes up here in the next month or so? Mark Webb's a guy to definitely watch out for there. I wouldn't be shocked. Honestly, I know we got Tyson Campbell coming in in the fall, uh, who's a, a major big-time recruit. But Mark Webb's a guy. He was a big-time recruit in his, in his own regard as well. Uh, I, I think this is a guy, along with Amir Speed, that will continue to be right in the mix of that Um that battle for that next that starting cornerback job there. One more guy that I, that I heard, and this is not a surprise to me, but uh, another guy that I heard some good things about this week, especially in our full pads day yesterday, was Miko Hardman. Uh, the, what was told to me was the word uncoverable. Like, nobody can stop him. And, and look, this is very, very early in spring practice. The offense is, I mean, we lost a lot of guys on defense. The offense is probably a little bit ahead of, of the defense at this point. 
But do you like? Does that surprise you that that Iowa told that Miko Harbin was uncoverable? No, not at all. I mean, towards the end of the season, he was practically uncoverable in his first full year, really at the um, wide receiver position. So, I mean, as the season went on, that's you really saw that he was getting open. I mean, you saw in the Bama game, he burns. You know, I mean, it was Tony uh, Brown. It was Tony Brown, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, was Tony Brown. He burnt, just absolutely burns him. So, just ran it past doesn't him. shock me that he's going to continue to um, develop and get better at that position. So, I think another full off season because I mean, at the same time, we don't know truly how early last year he was moved. To, to wide receiver either. I know he was working there in spring. I mean, he was definitely working there in spring. We know that for a fact, but it might have been before that. You're right. Like during during uh, preseason, you know, I don't want to say camp, but preseason workouts, so on and so forth, to get some work out there with the quarterbacks. We don't know. You're right. And, and, uh, I, and I think in general, he had to work on his ball skills, his hands and things. So I think... Oh, there's no doubt. Work- we saw... He was a work in progress, and we saw that play out all last year. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. I think the more he gets comfortable, and, then, and he learn. I mean, there's things like, especially someone like him, learning leverage and things like that, that can make him just so much better. And that's why I think, I mean, I, I've been out, I, you know, I, I think I've said, I think he could be one of the most explosive receivers in the SEC next year. Right, that was my next question. Do you think he could be our most dangerous weapon offensively next year? A hundred percent, I think he is. Um, I think there's not, a very real possibility that's I the mean, case. Even though he's not like six four, like some of these other guys, he's still a deep threat because he can just outrun most people. Right, he can do that, and we saw that. You said against Alabama in the last championship game, we saw him outrun people. Like it, once he he has that, we've seen we saw him do that last year. I mean, against Notre Dame, he was wide open and just dropped the pass. There's a couple of times we saw that happen. And then, and then he's also very dangerous, especially as we go to more of a RPO type system, which you yes. saw against Auburn. Yes. And then even um, like I said, also if you ever went to a West Coast style, not full time, but just like where you. you use uh, space and try to attack people in the zone and stuff like that. Matchup-wise, I don't think, especially if you ever got a linebacker or a big safety on him, there's no way they can cover him. From day one last year, he had the ability to get open by virtue of his speed. Once he adds to that, the ability to get open by just being able to run routes effectively, like you said, using leverage, re- being able to read defenses and finding the holes in zones, once he's able to add that to his arsenal along with the speed, I could 1,000% see this guy being truly, as I was told this weekend, uncoverable. When you got that speed, and then you can find ways to get yourself open without having to use that speed, getting yourself open in different ways using different skill set, using a different skill set, like that guy, he truly could become unstoppable if we use him correctly. That's my only concern: is will we use him correctly? Because if 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 we find the ways to get him the ball, that we that if we find a way to consistently get him the ball, let's just say that this guy truly is going to be at least as athletic as any DB that could possibly cover him in the SEC. So I'm 100% with you saying that he might potentially be one of the most dangerous weapons, not just on our team, but in the entire SEC, if we use him appropriately. We'll see. We'll see if if that's the case. I'm very interested to see if James Coley, being on the coordinator, does have... really get down to it, the last couple games of the year, as good as Wims was, Nick Cole was more of a go-to guy the last couple games of the year. Yeah, I mean, it, not, course, not even I mean, just on the nine year. routes, not just we, on the go routes. I mean, some of those deep those deep out routes that from those very, very well, a lot of those he was hitting Nick Cole in stride with. Yeah, and some of those, uh, um, we were doing a lot of third down passes where you're getting him in uh, the zone and yep, stuff. Yep. I mean, you saw it. I mean, I have to say, I mean, since the, uh, from about the Kentucky game on, we really only targeted uh, me, Cole, and Terry for the most part. It's like we were using Wims as a, uh, as a, um, I mean, Wims still made some big plays for, for us. Point, for the most part, he didn't get that many catches. I mean, he had a touchdown catch in the Oklahoma game. But other than that, I mean, if you look at it, probably target percentage wise, I'd say uh, those two had a higher percentage. Yeah, I think, I think Javon made the plays and they presented themselves, but I think you're right in saying he wasn't targeted as much as he was before that point. I think that's fair to say. Because, I mean, I mean, by that by that time, late in the season, 
the book was out on us. Like people knew that we were targeting Javon Williams' back shoulder fades. You know, the catch he made against Florida, the throw from made there. And teams figure that out. So, okay, we're going to make somebody else beat, you, beat them. We're going to make Miko Hardman, who's struggled to kind of grasp the position, make him beat it. And he ultimately rose to the challenge. And Terry did some good things as well. Uh, but, yeah, I'm very high on Miko Hardman. I'm very excited to see him with my own two eyes. But from what I've heard, at least through one week, the guy is taking the right steps and may very well end up being the most dangerous weapon we have offensively this year. We'll see. I hope that's certainly the case. That'll be very good news for us. Um, the next thing I want to bring up here, uh, well, I guess we'll move that in a second. Look, guys, I, I'm going to touch on this. I want to mention, I don't want, you think I'm just ignoring it. I know everyone wants to hear about the quarterbacks, right? But look, it's it's so hard to tell right now, and we just don't really have a ton of info. And Curtis and I haven't seen those guys. Um, F- Justin Fields is still very much learning. Now, what Curtis and I have heard is that he looks good through the first three days. But look, he it's his first three days of practice ever uh, at the University of Georgia. So he's still very much learning, and there's plenty of time to talk about that as we gather more information. So give us a, a, another week or two through spring practice, and we'll probably have a little more to go off of there. Maybe as we get some scrimmages in, and we'll be able to go off that and try to knock up some, knock, uh, kind of hit up some of our sources and see what they had to say. I mean, but and here's the thing, though: even this, even as much as Justin shows out right now, coming out of spring, he's not going to be the starter. He's not, there's just no way. Year. He's not. It's even not going to happen. From, you know, from takes the reins, leads us to the national championship. Coming out of spring, was he the starter? No. It, it, that was, it's this, you're right. It's the exact same thing. That's what I was going to say. It's like. As good as Fromm was in the spring last year, I got to see one of the spring, the first spring scrimmage last year before G Day, and Fromm was was balling out, man. But I knew to my, I was kept saying to myself like it doesn't matter how well he plays right now, he's not going to be the starter coming out of spring. Now he might win in the fall, but he's not going to be the starter. He's not going to unseat an established starter based off spring practice. Uh, now he might put himself in more position to do that later on, but it's not going to happen coming out of spring. Like the the post spring depth chart is not going to have Justin Fields atop of it uh, at quarterback, just like the post spring depth chart last year was not going to have Jake Fromm at the top of that list. So, uh, look, I think Justin Fields can certainly put himself in position to make a move in the fall, but I just don't see him being the starter coming out of spring. I just I don't see that. But I, I've heard good things about him so far at this point. And it, 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 I did, did you expect anything else, Curtis? Like, I mean, that is that not what we expected? No, not at all. I mean, he knew what he was coming into. The guy's a competitor. And, uh, we. I mean, there was no question about his athletic ability. And, I mean, um, well, you know, the number the two th- prospect in the country. I mean, of course he's going to look good. I mean, I didn't and, expect and, him to go fall flat on his face. People, all they hear about is his athletic ability. Well, here's the thing. That we, and, you know, we've mentioned it before, but I just don't think people really grasp the understanding is that Fields went to the Elite 11 and won the competition, the number one quarterback in the Elite 11. With his arm, he didn't. His legs, legs do not factor into that he equation. Beat out, he beat out all the pro-style quarterbacks in the nation for that number one including ranking. Including Mr. Hare, Trevor Lawrence himself. Exactly. So, I mean, that's the thing. I don't think these people really grasp was how, his arm is not a deficiency. I mean, if this kid had gone to somewhere like an Auburn or somewhere, they they could be in a national championship hunt every year with him. Oh yeah, a hundred percent, and so could we. I mean, let's let's just and, be and real that's here. What I'm saying. I mean, this guy's just—it's not just his legs. The guy. I mean, he's he was a stu- he's a stud baseball player, so he has a great arm. And he knows how to use it. Yeah, I mean, that's a fantastic point about the Elite Eleven. Like when you go there and you win that competition, which you, your legs do not factor into that at all. That's not what they're looking at. They're looking at what can you do with your arm and with your mind and reading defenses. And you go when you win that against the top quarterback recruits in the country. Uh, <laughs> okay. And then you throw in his legs on top of that. Uh, all right, this guy's going to be a baller. There's just no doubt about it. It's just a matter of will he be able to unseat Jake Fromm? We'll see. I'll, I'll say this: Jake Fromm's going to go down without a fight. I mean, we all know that. We know the kind of guy that Jake Fromm is, and 
He's not gonna he's not gonna go down without a fight. He's gonna go down swinging if he goes down at all. And I, and it, it's just gonna it's gonna be crazy awesome to watch this play out. And look, I I, I know you read some of the message boards. You hear people talking. Like most people, out there, they have their guy, right? Like they're a Fields oh, guy or they're a From guy. Just like last year, people were either an Easton guy or a From guy. Like they have their agendas. They have their mindset. Like they close out their mind. Okay, I want From to win the job. I want Fields to win the job. I want Easton to win the job. And they kind of close your mind off to reason. And I I I tr- now look. I love you guys. Know. I love Jay Fromm. I, I love the guy. I mean, I, I love the, the the grit he plays with, what he does off the field. I, I love him. Uh, so you can call me a Jay Fromm guy if you want, but I'm not going to close my mind off to Justin Fields whatsoever. I mean, I was talking about Justin Fields being the best quarterback in the country last year before like, when everyone was freaking out about losing Trevor Lawrence. And I was like, I don't really care that much. Justin Fields is better. Uh, and then finally he blows up a couple months after that, but I was on him before that. So I, I love Justin Fields as well. I mean, all the things you hear about Jay Fromm, you hear about Justin Fields as well. So Bottom line for me, I, I I love both these guys. I want the best player to win, or to win the job. I want the guy who gives us the who gives Georgia the best chance to win. I want that guy to be our quarterback. And I, I we obviously don't have enough information right now to really make an an accurate assessment there. We need to see these guys on the field, especially Justin Fields. We have not seen. I will say though, and we'll talk a lot more about the quarterback position as we get into the more and more in the offseason through spring practice. But I mean, look. For him to win that job, wouldn't you say he's going to have to be like head and shoulders above better than Fromm when you factor in Fromm's experience? Uh, probably so, yeah. Yeah. That's very fair. But we'll see. I mean, he, and he very well could be heads and shoulders above better. We'll see. We'll see. But we've got plenty of time to talk about that as we gather more info. We'll try to put some feelers out to some people that get to see a little bit more than we do and try to relay that to you guys as much as we can over the next couple of weeks. All right. Next thing I want to mention here, Kurt, we uh, got some, uh, some unsettling news. Uh, on the injury front, we've got Sam Madden, uh, who was mysteriously not at practice to start the week, and Curry is kind of like, oh, you know, he's still on the team, whatever. He was asked about it again uh, after practice on Saturday and uh, came out and finally admitted, yeah, yes, Sam Madden is no longer with the team, or at least he's not playing. His playing career is over. Uh, he's, they're trying to get a medical disqualification. He's going to be a part of the team, just not actually playing. Uh, did that surprise you? Did that? Come, I mean, to me, I was like, oh, okay, sounds about right. You know? Oh, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. He was not expected to be a contributor. Yeah, I mean that's that was my next question. Like, does losing Sam Madden does that hurt us? Hurt this program in any way? Realistically, it opens up scholarship, which we were having to do. Well, I think mean, if my numbers are correct in counting up the scholarship, I think we had to get before the Sam Madden thing. We had to get four. Like, we were four before over the limit with the guys we've got coming in, right? Assuming everybody qualifies. As part of the 2018 class, we're going to be four guys over the scholarship limit, the 85 scholarship limit. Now with Sam Madden gone, that puts us three over. So somehow, some way, somehow, we're gonna have to get under that number. So there's gonna be there's gonna be more attrition. I I think what you what you usually see is some of these guys that are kind of on the fence borderline. Are they gonna transfer? Are they gonna stay? Like what's gonna happen? They they try to stick it out through spring practice, see if they can maybe make a move. Like one last time, let's give it one last shot. Let's see if I can make a move. Uh, and if not, if coming out of spring practice, they're still kind of where they were on the depth chart. That's when you start to see some movement on the roster. You know. Um, so I think there could be some potential some potential transfer options available to some guys as we get out of spring practice. But that, that, that's one guy down, so we got three more. I hate, I hate to say it that way, like hey, there's one down. But hey, the bottom line is somehow we've got to get under we got we got to get to 85. And right now we're we're over if everyone in the 18 class qualifies, which I don't have any reason to believe that they won't. Uh, and another injury, which I think might potentially have some more impact on us on the field, is a true freshman early enrollee, Devad Wilson from Florida. Uh, Kirby said, you know, in this, in this press conference after practice on Saturday, this was before we knew the extent of the injury, uh, I think he used the word disheartened. You know, he's like, look, this is a guy that we were really excited about after three days of practice. 
Uh, it seemed like he was working at the star position. He's about 190, 200 pounds. There's a bigger DB that could certainly fill in that spot. Uh, how much does this potentially hurt us moving forward? Um, I don't think it's a death. And by the way, it wasn't ACL. He, he tweeted out it wasn't ACL. I don't think I mentioned that. So he's, and, he's and out for a while. Thing, you know, forever, everyone on all these message boards and everyone always doubted and was like, question Kirby as to why he was recruiting all these DBs. Um, why would he do that when we have we already have guys? Well, that's why. Injuries happen. You have to be able to replace them with someone that you can actually rely on and not have someone come in off the bench that you don't want in there. I don't know what we're going to do at the star position right now because Devon Wilson, I mean, based on what Kirby, the way Kirby made it sound, like he was the guy, at least through spring practice right now, that he probably felt well, the most comfortable with there. spring, definitely, because especially when you don't have a D'Angelo Gibbs at your, at your disposal. Do you think that's the spot where Gibbs get, fits in? Yeah, I think this is definitely where Gibbs fits in when it hits the spring. When it hits, hits the fall? Yeah. Yeah. I I, uh, I I tend to agree with you there. I think the spring it was really important for him because this was a chance for him to get ahead of other people. And we have, and the thing is like we have to realize we have and you guys all know this. You watch us watch the team play last year. Like we have a bunch of different packages that use different personnel at the star position. You have kind of the heavy packages where you get like a guy like Lorenzo Carter that was playing out there in that position last year. Uh, we're working you know in the clip we saw from. Uh, from the UGA football Twitter account, who do we see out there playing star in space? But of course, uh, DeAndre Walker. You know, he's kind of filling that role. So we have that package there. He, Kirby mentioned Keon Browns and playing out there. He even mentioned Jaden Hunter might be a guy because he's he's an athletic guy. He can get out there and play in some in space a little bit. He's an option. Some of those different packages. But if you go on like a true nickel back, like a fifth defensive back, it, right now it's like with Devon Wilson going down, it's either William Poole or Tyreek McGee. And I don't, I, I like Tyreek McGee. I think he's a good player. But he's undersized to play the star. Say, none of them are the physical, physical size. I mean, William Poole is bigger. He's bigger than than McGee, and I'd feel more comfortable with him there. But McGee, like, I like him as a player. I think he's a he's a good cover guy. I, I don't understand. Like, once Malcolm Parrish came back last year, I know Malcolm was a senior and everything, and had the leadership component there. But I thought that McGee outplayed him when he when he got opportunities last year. So I, I like him out there at corner. I think he can be a good player for us. But I don't like him inside at star because he's just not big enough. Uh, and that, that's a that because that's a position where you really have to be heavily involved in run support. And not saying McGee can't tackle, he can, but like he's just like the size is is, is a factor there. I think that's why we like Devon Wilson there. I think that's one of the reasons why uh, D'Angelo Gibbs is, is potentially going to be an answer at that spot for us down the road. But at least through spring, like you know, I, I'm with Kirby sounding concerned. And look, the coach's job is to always sound concerned. You know, that's their job is to worry about these things. But yeah, I kind of you, you never, especially you never want a uh, player to think that they're uh, that uh, an injury to them is not important. Yeah, absolutely. There's no doubt about it. But I mean, Kirby, he seemed like I don't know if you saw the press conference. He seemed like legitimately like dejected about it. He's like, yeah, man, this is a guy like I, we, well, we were yeah, excited I about. Too, especially, you know, I mean, his career is just starting. He's probably had oh, a good sure. three days of practice. You think, wow, he's got a bright future ahead of him. And then, you know, that sets him back. I mean, there's a lost year for him. Just sucks, man. Like, I'm getting so tired of these ACLs. I mean, like, Zeus is another guy who, I mean, from everything I've heard, even looking at the pictures you need to see from the galleries that, that, that uh, sites are putting up, everything you see, like, the guy looks, like, chiseled out of stone. Like, he looks the part. But, and I want him out there, like, participating. Because, I mean, I think honestly, if Zeus was healthy, he might star for us next year. Like, there's a legitimate chance that, and who knows, he might get healthy. The word is he's he's ahead of schedule. He looks like he might be a, a pretty significant amount, or a pretty good amount, I guess I should say, uh, ahead of schedule than what was the expectation. But because I mean, it's kind of like you know, I'll say, kind of remind me of Nick Chubb. You know, he was coming back from his injury what two springs ago, where he was kind of taking some run polish, taking handoffs, and going through drills like that. No contact whatsoever. Remember, Nick was doing that. Yeah. And, and he and he was ready for for fall camp, right? 
I could see a scenario where we see something like that with Zeus. If, if he's doing what Nick was doing back you know, a couple years ago during spring practice, if he's taking handoffs and going through some of the run polish drills, I'm not saying he's going to be back 100% for the start of fall camp, but it seems like he might be ready a little quicker than maybe what I was anticipating because I always you know, think worst-case scenario. But um, I, he's a guy that would definitely need to get back. But you just don't want those. You're right. Like Devon Wilson, Zeus, you don't want these guys to start their careers that way. But it is what it is. I mean, injury, the injury bug hits, man, and it's – this is one of those things. Uh, and you mentioned D'Angelo Gibbs. We got some news. And look, you and I knew. I mean, and I'm sure a lot of you guys out there also knew. We knew that Nature's Patrick is already back with the team. Like he's been he's been working out with the team all offseason long. Like that when Kirby announced that like, yeah, he's back with the team, that was not a surprise, right? Um, but it, it's good to I guess to officially hear that. And with D'Angelo Gibbs, we didn't know. We had some questions in the offseason. Like we didn't officially know what was going on. I had heard that uh, that it was that it was some a pretty significant injury that he had suffered, and Kirby essentially. Uh, confirm that. I didn't know if that was true or not, but once Kirby confirmed, it's like, okay, what I heard was true. Uh, so, and, and it was a pretty bad injury, uh, but he's, from what I understand, and Kirby pretty much said this as well uh, this week, that he fully expects D'Angelo to make a full recovery and be back in time for fall camp, which is a huge, huge, huge thing for us. I mean, I, I, D'Angelo Gibbs is a, I think this is a guy that can be a, a big time player for us uh, as early as this year. So no doubt about yeah, I think, it. I think he's actually, honestly, a more athletic Tony Brown. That's an interesting comparison. I think that's a, that's a fair comparison to make. I mean, there. if you really look at the way their bodies are built and you know the athleticism, he's more fluid than Tony Brown. Well, that's what I said. He, he a very similar body, you know, very physical, bigger person, but can still move. And but he's, like you said, he's a little bit more uh, athletic and different uh, with his body. Yeah, I, yeah, that's yeah, that's a really good comparison. I never thought about it that way. But that's a good comparison. And one more thing I want to mention here. Uh, and look, we all know that like, replacing. Roquan Smith was going to be an uphill battle. Like we, we know like this is like a once on – I don't say once yeah, on a lifetime. There's never a one person that can fill the job. Yeah, it was just it, – it, look, it's Kirby's job to kind of downplay things, but he, he's always brutally honest. He'll tell you what he thinks in his press conferences. And, and I, I think he's challenging the players too that much more. Too. Yeah, and he, he, he essentially said, like, we're not going to be replacing. Like there are some, some plays that we're seeing out there that, you know, that Roquan would have had the guy covered up last year, and this year it's like uh, right now at least not so much. Yeah. Uh, and he said that we're going to have to replace him by committee. There's nobody that's really kind of standing out right now. Does that concern you? I mean, it's only three days into practice. But is it concerning that like there's not a guy that's like, whoa, okay, he's standing out. He's going to be the guy that replaces Roquan. No, not at all. Because going into this, especially this spring, I've always said that it, replacing Roquan was going to be by a committee. It was never one person. So no when you say by committee, what do you mean? Are you, you going to rotate guys in every series at that spot? No, not every series, but it, I mean, it's going to be taken playing as a unit. You can't rely on just one person. To, I mean, how many times would you have Reggie Carter in there? And he, I mean, you, oh, it's a major job. Like, yeah, I mean, you'd, you'd have Reggie in there, and it's like you're playing with one linebacker. Yeah, it was a significant immediate drop off when Reggie Carter came to the game. There's no doubt. Love and, Reggie, and, and, but and it that's happens. My thing, is I think it's more or less you're going to rely on the linebacker core, especially the two ends linebackers to play together, and not one guy having to make the plays on every side of the ball, every side of the field, and do everything like Roquan did for most part, especially with Reggie. It's going to be these guys. Him that you know, you know, take his assignments and play their assignments and do their responsibilities. I mean, it's like it's just not gonna it's not gonna be one person. I think I, I, you're probably right there. I, I think having HS Patrick back, it, please God, let him stay out of trouble. As long as he can stay out of trouble, I think that's huge. Having that that veteran experience there at that spot because whoever is gonna play that spot has essentially very little to no experience. I mean, if it's Monty Rice, he's got a little bit of experience. If Juwan Tej got a little bit of experience. Uh, Curry mentioned Juwan's really playing. Uh, He's he's playing well right now. We'll see we'll see how that progresses throughout spring practice. Look, man, I, I know they're not here right now, and I know we all we all love the, the recent signees. You know, it's always everybody's favorite players, the guys who haven't been on campus because they haven't had a chance to let us down yet. 
But I, I'm telling you, man, if, if, if that's true the case, if what Kirby said is true, that like we just don't have anybody that's really staying out there at that spot, I would not at all be surprised for one of those incoming freshmen, those inside linebackers, whether it's Quay Walker or Channing Tindall, I would not at all be surprised to see them line up at that spot. Well, yeah, and I think that's a very good Because those guys are legit. Like, like you're talking about like, – I'm not saying they're Roquan talent level, but they're not They're not that far off. They have – in terms of athletic ability, I, I think they, they have, they're a notch above the guys we have vying for that spot right now on campus. And, and I think that's very fair. You know, like I said, with the committee and especially – I mean, it's because you don't have any players to jump off the page. I mean, Monty Rice, who has a chance to pay Dave for that position, I mean, he's good, but he's nothing special. I mean, he, to me, he's a thumper. He's, yeah, he's um, just not – he's not – and over, he's a good player. Bonnie Rice is good, yeah, but I mean, he's not. If you're he, looking at him as a recruit. He's a solid low four star. Mid, yeah, mid he's a good player, star. but he's. I, I you're right. I don't know if right now he's special. I don't. I, I don't know how high his ceiling is. I think he'd be a really good player, I mean, but I don't know if he has yeah. that like off the chart ceiling that a guy like Quay Walker, Chain Tingle does. If anyone in the core right now has a high ceiling, it would be Nate McBride. But like you said, he's got so far yeah. to go. Nate Where has that athleticism. Rice, yeah, Rice for the most part is close to being tapped out. I mean, his potential. I mean, he could be. He's good, closer but it, I mean, to his ceiling than Nate is to his. Yeah, exactly. So if you're looking at people that could do everything that we really want them to like you said it's, it's the people like a Quay Walker James Hindall they have a huge ceiling that could really you know pop onto the scene yeah and look I'm a linebacker junkie I, I played the position and coached the position like I, I, I love getting down in the nitty gritty to talk about linebackers and I, I think Monty Rice can be a really good player for us I, you're right saying he's more of a downhill thumper he can move side on sideline but look not at Roquan's level few can like nobody's Roquan Smith Monty's a, Monty's a better version of a Tim Kimbrough yeah, that's a really that that's a good comparison. Yeah, I, I think he's he, he's a notch above Tim Kimbrough, but a similar style type player. I think that's a, that's a good comparison there. But a guy like Quay Walker, and look, I know he has a step foot on campus. A guy like Channing Tindall, same thing. But their ceilings are just like, this is just one guy's opinion. This is just me, based off what I've seen from them. I have not seen them at the college level, but based off what I've seen from these two guys. Their ceiling is just a good bit higher than what Monty Rice's is, and a good bit higher than Jawan Taylor or Tay Crowder. Now, I think yeah, Nate McBride might have a similar type ceiling, but he just he's got to learn that position. And I'm very I'm very interested to see what that first year on campus did for Nate McBride because we saw him on special teams. We didn't really see him much at linebacker. I'm very interested to see what Glenn Shigman was able to do with him that first year and see if he's ready to actually contend for some playing time. We know his athletic ability is off the charts, but can can he coil and explode into, into ball carriers? Can he can he shuck? Can he engage blockers? Can he dip and can he rip? Can he do those things? Can he stack and he can he stack and shake? Can he do those things? I don't know. Hopefully. I didn't see that much out of him in high school. Can he explode through ball carriers? Can, can he continue driving his legs through contact. I didn't see those things from Nate McBride at the high school level, but it doesn't mean he hasn't improved on that through his first year. So there's a chance. We just got to see it, right? Yeah. Yeah, so that's that's the, that's the position. Like, I always have my eye on that, but I'm, you know, Kirby, he flat out just said it. I, I, kinda, I don't say it took me aback, but I was like, oh, he just flat out said, like, he doesn't, like, we're not special there right now. He's going to do this by committee. And the only reason I bring that up is I think what that told me is that it, at least the door is going to be open for a guy like Quay Walker or Channing Tindall to come in and maybe take that job if they're ready from day one once they get here in the fall or in the summer. Like I'm not saying they're going to take that job, but based on what Kirby said, at least after three days of practice here in the spring, I think that door is going to be open for one of those two guys to come in if they're ready to take that job. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be shocked at all. So we'll see how it plays out. I mean, I, I there's plenty of time left. I love the competition. We'll see who rises to the top. There's no doubt about it. But 
That's what, I mean, is there anything else we missed here from the first week, Kurt? You know, there's only so much that goes on in this kind of acclimation period. Yeah, I mean, we've only had three practices. Like you said, two were in short, so there's not that much to really jump off the page. Yeah, we're trying to squeeze as much as we could out of what we were able to find out this week. But uh, we'll, hopefully we'll get, we're, we will hear a little bit more as uh, spring practice continues on the next couple of weeks, and we'll definitely have you guys covered each and every week. We'll uh, have kind of that week-by-week -week recap, so make sure to be checking back here and uh, we'll hopefully have you guys complete cover there but thank you for listening we always appreciate it and for Curtis I'm Tyler as always go dogs